Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. So glad to see you all here with us, whether you're joining online or you're here in the sanctuary. Um, it is my pleasure to get to bring our next message as we continue through the book of Ephesians together. My name is Jenny Neighbor, and I'm the director of small groups and young adults here at Ward Church. And like I said, it's my pleasure to get to bring our next message, which is a message about the power of prayer as we continue through the book of Ephesians, which we've been in in this summer. So last week, our director of student ministries, Mark Ortis, brought a great message on the unity that we have received through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at Paul's prayer, which he prays for in response to this unity that we've been given. But it feels only fitting that we start a sermon on prayer with prayer itself. So would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we just... We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift that we can come before you in worship as your people together as your church. We also thank you for this gift of prayer that you've given us that we can come and have conversation and communion with you. And I just ask that you would be here this morning. Would you make your presence known in this church? Would you um, make me a vessel for you that this would be to your glory and your glory alone? We pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, our passage today, as we said, is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and it opens with the words, for this reason. Let's look at it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, anytime we're reading in the Bible, especially, and we see the words for this reason, it's good practice that we take a step back to what it was talking about before. Because the words for this reason, or something like therefore or because, is really just Paul's way of saying everything I'm about to say has to do with everything I just said. So we're going to look back at what came before. But this, for this passage in particular, typically you're only looking at a few verses before, but for this passage in particular, we would need to look back at Ephesians 2 and the end of that, which actually is what Mark preached about last week. And we know that we need to go back to the end of Ephesians 2 because Ephesians 3, verse 1, actually also starts with the words, for this reason. But as Paul's beginning to do his prayer for this reason in verse 1, he gets a little sidetracked with explaining some things and he gets really excited about it. And I don't know about you, but uh, this is not a point for the sermon today, but it's comforting to know that even Paul can get distracted when he begins to pray. And so that's maybe a little takeaway that prayer Prayer is not perfect, and it does not need to be perfect. But anyways, Paul is saying here, everything I'm about to pray is because of the unity that I was just telling you about. Paul tells the people in Ephesians 2, he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Together, both the Jewish and Gentile Christians are being made into one new humanity, united by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Together they are building the church, and together um, they get to tear down the walls of hostility. 
And so Paul is praying for the church in response to this unity. And so we know that this prayer is a prayer for the church at Ephesus, but I think it's also a prayer for the church today. And so this is where we are starting. This is a prayer for the church in response to the unity that we have made new in Christ. Today, we're going to look at this prayer and ask, what can we learn from the prayer for today? We're going to look at three postures of prayer, the roadblocks to prayer, and ultimately take some practical ways that we can begin to pray this week. So that's where we're headed this morning. And now I promise we will get past verse 14 before the morning is over, but I want to spend just a few more minutes uh, looking at that passage. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul makes note here that he is kneeling in his prayer. And actually at that time, in, in that time, prayers, the posture of prayer was typically a posture of standing. You even heard that in the call to worship this morning, that they would stand in the synagogues to pray. Jewish people may even turn their hands upward as they pray. And today you'll see that common practice in the posture of prayer. So it's important that we notice that Paul here is making note that he is on his knees as he prays before God. In that time, you would kneel before a king when you had a request or a favor, and the larger the favor, the lower that you would kneel before him. You kneeled before a king because you needed something. We see this with Paul. Today, if you think about the posture of kneeling, maybe we think of some examples for today. You might think of being on your knees and begging for your life right? That's, that's a posture we've seen. Or on a more positive example, you may be on one knee as you ask someone to marry you. Or if you've ever been in middle school and you drop all of your papers and you're down on your knees trying to pick them up in the hallway. Whatever the situation, it seems that when we're on our knees, we're vulnerable. We're humble. There's just something about being on your knees before someone else that makes you feel humble. And this is what Paul is doing here. He begins to get, he he points us to our first posture of prayer, which is a prayer of helplessness. He comes to God on his knees because he is asking God for a favor. He's the king, if you will. And we see this posture of helplessness, and that is how we can pray. We come helpless before God on our knees. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, argues that one of our first steps in praying is to learn to pray helplessly. We have to learn to come before God as helpless children. And if you've never prayed before or you're looking for a place to start, A Praying Life is a great book for you. Paul Miller writes, The gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus, only works when we realize that we don't have it all together. The same is true for prayer. The very thing that we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. Have you ever hit a point in your life when you realize that you can't do life on your own? I have. I have many times, really, but one time in particular I think of is my sophomore year of college where I was going through a particularly rough time and a lot of things in my life that I don't think I was really ready to deal with or face were coming to the surface. And to be perfectly transparent with you all, I spent a lot of nights in my dorm room having panic attacks and crying. 
And the year before, I had accepted Jesus, though, so I knew God was supposed to fit into all of this somehow. But the challenge was that I didn't really know where he fit. And every time that I tried to bring him into this situation, I just found myself questioning, was God even good? I started to question, what was, what was this Jesus thing that I even accepted a year ago? How did it fit in? How was I supposed to trust God if I couldn't figure it out myself? One night, particularly desperate, in the midst of crying, I felt a nudge in my spirit. I felt the Holy Spirit say to just to get on my knees and pray. And now I didn't grow up in a particularly religious home, so I'd never really practiced this kneeling in prayer, uh, but I decided that I would listen, and so I did. So in the middle of the night in my dorm room, I get down on my knees, and I immediately begin to just sob. I don't know that I even had eloquent words or if I even really prayed with my mouth, but I knew I was praying with my heart, and I felt that God was there. It was something about coming as a helpless child that I was before God, that that's where I felt his presence. Things didn't change for me that night, but my heart did, as I remembered that this was the Jesus I had accepted. I didn't have to be perfect or even eloquent. Like I said, I, I think I ugly cried through the whole thing. But that was Jesus, and, and that was okay because he knew me. He knew that I was helpless. He knew that I couldn't fix it all or figure it out. He even knew that if I tried to, I would end up just questioning who, who God really was. But Jesus was there that night as I was on my knees reminding me that he was the one that I accepted and that where I couldn't do things, he surely would fill in the gaps. See, maybe that's why real helpless prayer is so beautiful because real helpless prayer is what mirrors the gospel. That night, as I was praying on my knees for the first time, I was reminded why I chose Jesus. And I was reminded of the gospel, that on our own, we cannot do it alone. But with the power of Christ and through prayer, he surely will. And so that is where we get our first posture of prayer, a posture of helplessness, where we come humble on our knees before God. But let's continue to get our next posture in today's passage, picking up in verse 16, which says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We'll get to the second part of 17 in a minute. But this is where we get to the real purpose of what Paul is praying. This is what he's asking for. He's asking that God would strengthen the church, that they would feel the power of Christ so that Christ may dwell within them. So what does that mean? Let's start with verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. Paul is asking here that God would strengthen the church. And specifically, how is he asking that they would be strengthened? In their bodies? In their words? In their numbers? No, he's praying that they would be strengthened in their spirit, in their soul. Because pray, Paul is praying for the church and the heart of the church. He's praying that Christ would dwell where? In their hearts. Paul here is showing us that there we can pray for the heart of our church and for others. 
So often I think we focus our prayers on the physical things. Prayers for a test, a hip surgery, or a house. And while those things are so good to pray for, and I think we should bring all of our requests before God, Paul shows us here that prayer is much broader than that. Prayer can go to the deepest of who we are. Prayer is for our souls. Paul challenges us here because I think so often we get distracted with those other things, but instead we miss the opportunity to pray for the transformation that comes from Jesus. We see this in verse 17 as we continue, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When you read this verse, you might start to question if Paul is really praying for the church, right? Because why do they need Jesus to dwell in their hearts if they're already Christians? Don't they have that? Don't they have Jesus if they're following him? Well, if we look at the use of the word dwell, we're going to get our answer for that. Because the word dwell here speaks to a much deeper level of existing. So there's two words that can be used in the Greek language to describe living somewhere. There's one that means a te temporary place. It's kind of like you're visiting or temporary lodging. But there's another word that speaks to a permanent residence, the place that you live in your home right? And that is the word that is used here to get to dwell. Paul is talking about a permanent residence. Jesus wants to be a permanent residence in our heart. When I think of the word dwell here, I actually think of my childhood best friend, Delaney. So bear with me. Delaney and I met when we were in preschool, and she was, she's been my best friend my whole life. We did everything together, and I mean everything. I spent every weekend with her, every day at school with her, and the older we got, the more comfortable Delaney got in our home, because she was a part of our home. She was a part of our family. I remember the days when I was younger of my mom telling Delaney, you don't need to knock, just come in. We know it's you. And eventually she stopped knocking and she just started coming in. And now I'm from a very, very small town. So we don't lock our doors, we leave our car running. And so it was no surprise to me that in high school I came home from cheer practice and here was Delaney on the couch eating a snack and watching TV. She was waiting for me. It was also no surprise that Delaney was doing all of this without anyone else being home. She didn't need to knock. She could just come right in. And I think of Jesus like Delaney. He might start by knocking on our homes. He might wait to ask for a water or a snack. But the longer he stays, the more comfortable he gets. The longer he stays, he becomes a part of our home. And now Jesus doesn't just come to our homes to eat, uh, eat our snacks or watch TV. He comes to change our lives. Slowly but surely, as Jesus becomes more comfortable, he begins to redecorate and even restore our homes. He does this in our hearts. See, Jesus isn't looking for, he isn't looking for an Airbnb or a place to rent for a while. He's looking for a home. He's looking for that in each one of us to transform our lives and our hearts. But we have to open the door. And this is the challenge for us. Will we pray in a way that opens the door for Jesus? What do I mean by that? We get so focused on these external things, again, beautiful, wonderful things to pray about health and circumstances, that I think we begin to close off the internal things from Christ. 
We forget that we can pray for these internal soul transformations. See, in praying for only the external things, again, what wonderful things to pray for, is kind of like inviting Jesus over for dinner. We have the meal, we get to talk to him for a little while, but then we send him home. Praying for everything, praying even for our souls and life transformation, is what welcomes him into our whole home, into our whole life. Paul pra Paul's prayer here is challenging us to pray for everything, for the external things and for the internal things, to pray about our depression, to pray about our children's faith and our grandchildren's faith, to pray about resentment towards our spouses, to pray about the heart of the church, to pray that your enemy would feel the love and mercy of God, to pray for whole life and whole world transformation, because that is what Jesus is doing, and he's going to continue that. We get to open our homes to him. Let's continue in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, so far we've had our first two postures, a posture of helplessness and a posture to be open. And now we're getting to the meat of Paul's prayer. We're getting to our final posture, which is a posture of hopefulness. So far we've seen Paul come helpless and open, and now he's going to come hopeful. Here, verse 18 continues the thought of verse 17 as we see the reason we pray is so that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what Paul is praying for the church to grasp. Now, safe to say that Paul isn't praying that they could literally measure the, uh, the love of God because I think I don't even know how to measure love in a tangible way, let alone the love of God. But Paul is using these descriptions to try and capture just, just how beautiful and wonderful God's love is. Because God's love is wide. It's so vast that it can reach everything and everyone. And God's love is long, meaning it will never end, and that source of love will never run dry. It's high and it's deep. God's love reaches the highest, most proud of us, and it reaches the lowest, the oppressed, and the forgotten. This is what lo God's love is capable of. But Paul says even that does not fully capture the love of God. As he says in verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Even all knowledge cannot capture the love of God. We can't put words to it. Um, I tried in this sermon, and we still can't put words to it because God's love is so unique that I think to really fully grasp it is to experience it. And this is the power that we have in prayer. This is the reason we pray is the love of God. Because what happens when we experience the love of God? Ask yourself that. What happens when you experience the love of God? 
What changes when we realize just how loved we are? Because the answer is everything. Everything changes. As we realize just how loved we are, we get to rest in a God whose love is so vast to cover us all, so long to never end, so high and so deep to reach every one of us, no matter our life circumstance. Everything changes because when we really grasp the love of Jesus, I promise you, friends, we begin to pray bolder. We begin to pray with hopeful hearts. We begin to feel free to be helpless children before our Father. When we really grasp the love of Jesus, we want to welcome him in to our home. And that's what we've been talking about all summer. Ephesians 1. We are made new in Christ. We are adopted, loved, saved, justified. Ephesians 2. We've been raised from dead to life. We're new, not stuck in our sin. And we're given a new humanity. We're, we're one people united by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Agents of his kingdom. Peacemakers in this world. This is who we are, church. And we can pray in that way. Hopeful of what God will do and trusting and resting in the power that he will give us. I think it's important that we we wrap up here by looking at Ephesians 2 and tie back everything that we've been talking about in prayer to what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. Do you wonder why Paul jumps in with prayer immediately instead of giving a bunch of instructions for unity? Well, I think this choice to pray first before any instruction is given really wraps up everything that we've been talking about this morning. Through Jesus, we've now been given this beautiful opportunity to be completely unified. But Paul knows what we now know, which is that we cannot and will not be able to be fully unified on our own. We need the power of Christ to do this. And so Paul prays for us to have a greater understanding of God's love. Why? Because the love is what brings true power. The love is what actually pushes back the schemes of Satan. Love is what allows us to keep tearing down walls. Because without an understanding of God's love, without his own people grasping it, we're only going to keep building up more walls. The power of Christ, if you can take anything away from this sermon, I hope it's this, which is that the power of Christ is not about us being right or winning every single battle. The power of Christ is coming before Jesus as humble recipients of the greatest love we could ever receive or imagine and seeking to pass that on to others. That is the power of Christ and we can begin to do that through prayer. Our greatest weapon is not how much we can do in this world. It is how often we can pray. Because prayer is our ultimate weapon. Prayer is what helps us open our lives to Jesus and be transformed. And the love of God is our means of power. What we cannot do, he will be faithful to do. So it is for us to be on our knees in prayer. But if all of this is true, if we really grasp the love of God and we are free to be completely helpless children, 
why don't we really pray in this way? I know for me, I have my own list, right? I'm, I'm distracted and I'm busy and I have those prayer requests in my head, but by the time I get home, I forget. And there's this whole list, right? And I think we each have our own. If I came up to you and I said, why, why don't you pray? <laughs> you'd, have your, you'd have your answers. But I wonder if one of the reasons we don't pray is because we're just too busy trying to fix it all ourselves. Helplessness is hard. I think we can all agree with that. Helplessness is hard, especially in our society of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We get this mentality that we need to be the ones to fix it all, but it is our self-reliance and our pride that's getting in the way from us kneeling before the Father in prayer. Maybe that's not your issue. Maybe for you, you just get so focused on those external things. You, get, you, you pray about all of those things that you forget to pray for the internal things. You forget that you can pray for the souls of others. And I think, well, ex again, those external things are perfect to pray for. I think sometimes we hide behind those requests because we don't really want to share where our soul is. And I would challenge you, when's the last time you gave a prayer request for your soul? When's the last time that you showed up to small group and you were vulnerable about where you are with God? Or when's the last time that you asked another brother and sister, how can I pray for your spirit? We can hide behind the external things and forget to open Jesus into our lives. Maybe for you, it's an issue of trust. God hasn't moved in your life in a while, and you're starting to wonder if he really can do everything he says he can do. Is he really all he's cracked up to be? I know it's really hard in seasons of unanswered prayer and waiting because you start to forget who God is. You forget what he can do. Maybe for you, as the longer you go without praying, the less it seems likely that he'll answer your prayers. Or finally, maybe you've forgotten who you are in Christ, right? We're more loved than we could ever imagine. We have greater power than we could ever imagine through prayer. And yet Paul prays that the church would be rooted and grounded in love because it is so easy for us to forget who we are. We are heirs of God's kingdom and there is so much power in that. We can't forget who we are and we can't forget whose we are. Because when we do, we neglect to pray. So that's the roadblocks to prayer. Finally, how do we pray? How then do we pray? What's some practical stuff? I hope to leave you today with the three postures, which is to come helpless, to come open, and to come hopeful. Helplessness means being on your knees, humble and honest with God. You can try this posture either physically or even in, in your spirit, internally. Practically this week, I would love for each of you to find a posture in which you can come humble before God. If you can, if you're able, pray on your knees, maybe for the first time ever. If you can't, maybe it's hands for you, laying your hands open to God or bowing your head or looking up. Whatever helps you to feel humble before God. Get into that posture of helplessness with your body. And as your body is humble, let your words follow suit. Come open. Pray for the soul of yourself and for others. Remain open to the transforming work of Jesus. And one of the ways I love to do this, just a really practical way to start praying, is to get in that position of helplessness and then just 
tell God about your day. It might seem silly at first because doesn't he, doesn't he know all about my day? But tell him about your day. And for me, it's one of those habits that I use when I'm really feeling distant from God. Because I think when we get into the habit of telling God about every single thing that comes to mind, we begin to really welcome him in to our whole life. You, you may begin to see transformation just through praying about your whole day. And if you've been struggling to see where God is moving, this is a great time to begin to let him speak to you, to show you where he's moving in each day. And lastly, come hopeful. Prayer is the greatest weapon we have in this world against the enemy, and we should pray as if that is the case. Pray without ceasing. Pray hopeful, knowing that God is faithful to do the work that he is faithful to hear us. Maybe for you this week, it just begins with a simple prayer of God, help me feel your power. Whatever it is, I hope that you can take these postures of prayer and fit them into your own life, that you would come helpless, open, and hopeful, because this is how we can pray. Paul ends his whole chapter, ends the prayer with a doxology or a praise to God, which seems to be the only fitting response that we can give to Jesus in response of the great power and gift that prayer is. He says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We are heirs of God's kingdom, strengthened and empowered by our never-ending love of Jesus and given the gift of prayer to be able to come before God, to be helpless, open, hopeful children, knowing that he will be faithful to hear us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this gift that you have given us. Paul is right, the only fitting way to respond to the power and the love of you is to just praise you. Because you didn't have to give us this love. You didn't have to seek us to bring your son, Lord. But you do, you do. And that shows us the greatest show of your great love. May we grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love that you have for us, Lord. I, I pray that over every person here um, online, Lord, that they would know just the depth that they are loved, that they would feel free to be helpless, open, and hopeful, knowing that you are a God who loves us and that you have given us power, not through our own might, but through the ability to come before you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and I pray for each person as we head out this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen.